And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We are officially cooking with oil. Welcome to the second week of the NHL regular season on our second week. of Dan Castro. We've got nothing to talk about except games and what's going on with the actual <laughs> season that's happening. Arhan Lalji along with Thomas Drance. And Drancer, we can't talk about games yet because we've got to talk about a player that's not here in Travis Hamanick. Yeah, so Travis Hamanick mutually agreed upon leave of absence between the team and the player of Cap Friendly reported this morning that he had the status of being suspended without pay, something that Travis Green pushed back on following practice on Monday. And uh, anyway, what's clear is that he is no longer on the Canucks' books. They have that cap flexibility at this point. Um, but Travis Hamanick has not been suspended without pay, something that the team is noting because, you know, I think there's concern for the for the person. And obviously, this is more complicated than uh, than it is simple. Although, you know, I, I don't think part like part of it we we know because it's obvious. But I do think part of it we don't know, and and it's being uh, kept private out of concern for the individual. And so we're at this point where Hamannick's not there; he's no longer on the Canucks' books. We don't really know what comes next. Obviously, the organization cares that it is differentiated between a suspension without pay and and a mutually agreed upon leave of absence, even if materially there's very little difference between the two. And here we go. That's where we're at. That's where we've landed with Travis Hamanick, who clearly at this point we won't be seeing for a while. Yeah, certainly uh, an unfortunate development for Hamanick from a Canuck perspective. There's good and bad. Obviously, you feel for the player and you signed him for a reason. But at the same time, there are some potential cap benefits that come with it down the road if they decide to find a different way to replace him. If they're not happy with what they've seen to this point so far through three games, they've been able to tread water. But if they decide they want to upgrade, certainly this is a potential financial positive for them down the road, especially for those who question whether or not $3 million was the right amount given what his performance was a year ago and what they could have expected from him this year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The – yeah, I mean – the fact is, is, and I wrote this, like, you know, on a knife's edge, you could squint and understand the bet that maybe Hammonick could give you top four level contribution at a third pair clip, um, you know, because he was maybe a unique fit with Hughes based on their play over a sliver of sample in the 2021 season. And thus, this made sense as a bet. Not, you know, I didn't hate it. I mean, I thought it made some sense when they made the bet in the first place, to be totally honest with you, Farhan. And yet, considering all the time that Hamannick has missed, I find it hard to imagine that he could get up to speed 
at the level that the Canucks had hoped when they originally signed him, right? And now, you know, with the flexibility added from him going on a leave of absence, um, you know, perhaps there's something that can, you know, be done to bolster the right side of this blue line, you know, which does need bolstering, like as well as Kyle Burroughs has played, and I think he's played really well, um, you know, talking to talent evaluators around the league, people really familiar with the AHL. I mean, there's still skepticism about whether he's a full-time player, right? Or, or just a really good depth piece. Uh, you know, universally people view him as a really good depth piece. I think there's some concern that, you know, does he hold up when, when you start seeing that heavy skill type of game later on in the season? Uh, you know, I think he can personally, I think he's one of those classic guys who, if he was an inch taller, would have 250 NHL games and people would be like, he's really good defensively. But, um, like, I, I believe that he can be an everyday player, personally. But I do think there's some skepticism within the industry. I won't, wouldn't be shocked if the Canucks share it to some extent. And so we'll see what they end up doing because, you know, the right side, even with Hamannick, was likely to be an Achilles heel for this team. And having lost both Hamannick and Brady Keeper uh, prior to the season beginning, you know, they probably do need some reinforcement there. Yeah, you would think so one way or another, whether it's an immediate play guy or just a depth guy that, um, you know, is at the 7-8 Luke Shen level. But interesting on so many levels because if this turns into a season-long situation, I mean, you, you have to look at the Elias Pettersson contract, and we don't want to go too far back on this because we've got some games to talk about, but could they have handled that differently? Could they have gotten more term with some additional cap flexibility? Plus, could you have made a different decision on the back end, you know, one or the other? Things could have been done differently had they known this was the situation when the deal got signed. And, and obviously, uh, where we are in our COVID lives was a little different than when that deal got signed. But, you know, you, you have to wonder if there was a do-over to be had, what would have been done? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, right? I know. <laughs> yeah. We'd all have I'd a Merry fit, Christmas. You'd have hair. Be, the world would be different, <laughs> my man. Right. Um, (laughs) The, uh, you know, I think the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, and look, there's going to be a lot of unfair criticism in my view, unfair that the Canucks shouldn't have done this deal. But, you know, first of all, we don't know the full story. Right. And even off record, no one's telling me the full story. I don't know if there's other reporters in this market who are getting it. I think we know parts of it. I think parts of it are obvious. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's clearly an awful lot going on here. And you know, should the Canucks have been aware, um, you know, that Hamannick has often marched to the beat of his own drum? Maybe, but I don't, I don't really think that's, that's sort of a, a fair criticism. It wasn't clear that this was going to be an issue, as far as I know, until weeks before training camp opened. Like, you know, pretty close to the point that, you know, the season was about to get underway. So, you know, once we have the full sense of the story, you know, I think it'll be uh, an easier sort of line to draw. Should they have known? Should they not have known? I I mean, I can see arguments for how some things involving human beings, um, you know, aren't possible to anticipate. I won't be stunned if this ends up being one of those that we file under that. Canucks, meanwhile, in Buffalo, they had practice today and uh, Quinn Hughes was not among those practicing and Brock Besser was one who did practice. And it sounds like Besser is going to play against Buffalo tomorrow. Travis Green said that we'll see how he responds after today's practice, but he was certainly hopeful that he would be available after missing the first three games of this road trip. He skated in practice on the top line with, uh, along with Elias Pettersson. JT Miller now off that line. We'll get into that in a bit, but just what did you see from Besser, and what should the early expectations be for him? Because we believe it's a, it, it could be a groin injury that he was dealing with. He said he felt something in that. Seattle preseason game. He shut it down after that. So that's obviously going to impact your skating. What what are the reasonable expectations for Besser early? Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, I, I think this team, I think Besser's really good and it's not like Besser's got a speed game, right? Like it's not as if speed is his, you know, cup of tea or what makes him special or what makes him effective. Like what makes Besser effective is that he's big, he's strong, he wins battles. He can beat keepers when they're set with that wrist shot. And you know, he's just really smart. Like, he's just a really smart offensive player. I, you know, I think this team really needs him, like really needs him on the power play and really needs him at five on five, where to this point, the top six hasn't shown up and sort of controlled proceedings the way I think we probably expected them to coming out into this season. So, you know, Besser, Pedersen, Hoaglander, like that sounds fun. Like that sounds like a lot of fun to watch. I'm looking forward to watching that just as an observer of this sport 
And I think Besser can help a ton, e- even if even if he's not exactly 100% on his return to the lineup Tuesday. Or or Thursday, should should he return then. Did Green confirm that he's back? No, he just said he's hopeful. He said they'll see how they he, yeah. they'll see how Besser responds after today's full practice. Because up until now, it's been right. morning skates. So totally. they'll see how he responds after the practice. But his hope was that he would be available tomorrow. But with yeah. Besser, I mean, you know, I'm I'm less concerned about his fitness than I am about his timing. When you're a shooter, and Elias Pettersson is more than a shooter, but certainly that shot can be lethal when it's on. It's taken him time, and he's now been back for a few weeks. How much time will it take Besser to get that shot back to the Brock Besser level? The shot itself, I think, you know, I mean, I I expect Besser to be ready. Like, I expect if Besser's playing, he's going to be Besser, and he's going to be everything we expect Besser to be. And, you know, that's just my view of it. So, you know, we'll we'll see. Like, I've been watching him in practices. I've been watching him in morning skates like a hawk because he's the big story, right? And today he did look more unencumbered. Like this was a materially material difference in terms of his status. He wasn't taking power laps by himself. I didn't see him go and consult with a trainer at any point during the practice. Like he was fully involved, looked to the world like he was going to play on Tuesday. But, you know, I think he was really close to playing on Saturday and and wasn't quite there. So we'll see. I think we'll see him this week for sure. I bet we'd see him on Tuesday based on what I witnessed to practice in Detroit on Monday. And when he returns, I'd expect him to be, you know, fully fledged Brock Besser, the full Brock experience, the Detroit Brock City. I, I'd expect all of that uh, from him when he returns and dresses for the Canucks, whether it's Tuesday or Thursday. Meanwhile, JT Miller, uh, you, you know, you say that it's going to be a lot of fun watching Besser, Pedersen, and Hoaglander play. And yeah, no question it is, but neither one of us is overly enamored with the notion of JT Miller being a third line center. You know, you talked about Hoaglander being able to drive a line from the third line because you know he has that dynamic playmaking ability not just necessarily finishing ability or whatever else or JT Miller's strengths we, we've seen Miller's been unable to do that at the center position so what do you make of him going back there Green said after practice look I, I said right from the beginning that we're going to use him in both spots and, and here we are yeah I, I, I my concern with Miller at center right is I mean, we've talked about that. Sorry. My concern with Miller as Pud Colson center, right, is that Miller is averaging 23 minutes a night through three games and Pod Colson is averaging eight. And so, you know, we know, like we know when the leverage of a game on Tuesday or Thursday ramps up, should it ramp up at any point, that JT Miller is going to play more with different line mates, right? And what does that mean for Pod Colson? And does this create an environment where he's more likely to spend... 25 minutes sitting the way he did against Philadelphia on Friday night, because that to me is the situation this team really needs to avoid, right? Like I want to see pod Colson play lower in the lineup more consistently. That's what I think that, that he needs. I think he needs 500 minutes in this league to sort of figure out some of the nuances of helping be a play driving player in the NHL. And if he's, you know, bouncing around and playing with different line mates and, you know, spending lots of time on the bench, like, I just struggle to understand how that's productive. Like that's, that's really my point. concern with Miller at center is what does it mean for pod goals? Yeah, it's a fair point. But you know, I think that even in training camp, they did spend some time together and it seems that that might bring yeah. out the best in JT Miller because he seems to really appreciate the thought of having that mentor role for a guy like pod goals. Yeah. I mean, JT Miller, JT Miller is a really smart guy. I know that fans see some of the body language sometimes and, you know, hear the F words <laughs> on and on. But JT Miller is a very bright. We don't hear them. Uh, you just tell us they happen. No, you can hear them sometimes on <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> um, no question. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, just cause JT is so loud. Um, but you know, uber competitive. I, you know, I think he's a really bright guy. He definitely spent a lot of time with pod Coles and bringing him along at training camp. He, he did so too with Jake Vertanen in his first two years. Right. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's something natural that he does. Uh, you know, I think it's true to him. And so maybe, maybe that is helpful. But, you know, I think about Derek Dorsett with Bo Horvat, right? And it was just like shift after shift, no matter what, Dorsett and Horvat, that was the line. They always played together. And, you know, there's a reliability to having that type of veteran defensively reliable presence sort of caddy you 
as you adjust to the NHL. And, you know, as much as Miller takes that role seriously and embraces it, like there's just going to be times where Miller's killed a penalty or he's been on for a key draw. And if Pod Colson's going to go out next, you know, he's not going to have Miller to go out with. And does that mean that his shift gets skipped? Like I suspect that the, you know, I, I suspect that the fact of the matter uh, suggests that this line combination is going to result perhaps, in my view, in Pod Colson perhaps playing less consistently than I'd like to see him play. That's the only thing I don't like about it. Otherwise, I thought, you know, these Canucks new look lines made a ton of sense. And certainly I'm interested in seeing that top line play together. Yeah, I mean, I think that with Miller in the middle, I think it opens itself up to a lot more movement and line juggling in game than it would the other way around with him at the wing starting there. And that just makes it hard. That just makes it hard to ingratiate Pod Colson into the lineup. Like that. No, it does. That's my concern. I think what we'll see... Yeah, and then another thing, Farhan, is like, for me, the top six hasn't really, you know, I've already said this, but it hasn't really driven play the way I'd like to see it, you know? And and in particular, when I say that, I'm kind of being tactful because Pedersen and Miller together have mostly done that. Like, the, the line that hasn't really worked yet at five on five, although they had their best game against Detroit by a fair bit, was Pearson, Horvat, Garland, right? And, you know, I just sort of wonder, like, Maybe, maybe Garland just needs time to gel with them. Maybe, right? But I, I like, are you best off with Pearson in the top six at this point, right? Like, if Hoaglander, Pedersen, and Besser work, like, wh- why wouldn't you try, if that works, like, why wouldn't you try Miller with Horvat and, or, and Garland? That sounds like a pretty dynamic second line, right? Like, Horvat might need more help driving at this point anyway than, Pedersen does, particularly in the event that he's facing tougher competition. And then you could do something like, you know, Dickinson, Pearson, Pod Colson, or Lamico, Pearson, Pod Colson. And like Pearson could be Pod Colson's Dorset. And that to me makes a ton of sense. Like that to me becomes something where, you know, you know how much he's going to play. Pearson will play PP2. He'll probably pitch in on the PK. You know, he'll still play 16 minutes a night, 15 minutes a night. Definitely get helps you get Pod Colson up to 11 or something. You'll always feel comfortable that if he defers to Pearson, the puck's going to go to a safe area of the ice. Like, I, I mean, that's sort of something that I might want to see that would begin to make a little more sense to me because I, I just do worry a bit about the Miller Pod Colson dynamic and not from a pr- performance perspective, but purely from a does that leave Pod Colson gathering mothballs as games go along? Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I think there's going to be times the, the change that I think it opens itself up to tomorrow night, at least, is. You know, midway through the game, I think you see Dickinson taken off the fourth line and put onto the wing alongside of Miller on the third line and Pod Colson onto the fourth line with Lamico moving over to center, right? Like, I think that probably becomes your way to keep his minutes down without completely upending the lineup. But bigger picture, I think at some point they will get to the point of putting Pearson on a third line. I think that's going to take a long time for Travis Green to come to that realization. It's not going to be week four of the season because we saw throughout training camp you know, we've all opined that at this stage of his career, Tanner Pearson should be on a third line, should be a middle six guy, not a, a locked in top six guy. And, you know, throughout training camp, Orvat and Pearson connected at the, at the hip. That was just the way it was going to be. It'll take a long time for Travis Green, in my estimation, second half of the season before we finally get to that point. And it might take Pod Colson finally getting those 500 minutes that you talk about and getting up to speed where they're comfortable with him there where they could potentially move Pearson down a little bit and, and create some flexibility that way. So uh, you, you know Travis. He's certainly hard-headed, if nothing else. Or let's put it a different way. He believes in in his convictions. That's just the way it's going to be. And he's certainly not going to listen to us, especially, except for maybe you from time to time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's it's an interesting issue to, to be running into, particularly because, you know, I, I mean – because Green is so detailed in how he approaches matchups, right? And how he attacks the soft underbelly of his opponent's teams, right? And how he deploys and, and you know, makes sure that, for example, like Oliver ekman Larson is facing a ton of top six competition, right? His third pair is facing almost no top six competition to this point. Like, they're on the road. They don't even have last change. And, like, have you seen Rathbone and Burroughs get jumped 
at any point by a top line? Like, I don't think I have. Uh, it's pretty, it's, it's like, that's hard. To, that's a hard trick to pull off. And you have to be really conscious of what you're doing in game to create that environment. That's something Green and his staff, you know, always seem to accomplish, right? They always seem to accomplish that. And I do think that makes, you know, ingratiating or, or integrating sort of certain pieces, specialist pieces, younger pieces, uh, a little bit trickier, right? Like they're crushing it in terms of creating an environment for Rathbone to succeed, right? In terms of creating a similar consistent environment for Pod Colson, I think that's still very much a work in progress. And that's been an interesting dynamic too to watch unfold over the course of the first week of the season. Absolutely. And with the way the lines are structured today, it also ends the Alex Chason experiment at three games. And certainly we expect him to be back. But Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Drancer, Alex Chason. We saw him in the first line for most most of these first three games. Uh, Right now, he looks like he's skating as a 13th forward. We have to believe that if Brock Besser comes back, it probably means Nick Matan gets sent down. And uh, what's your what's your thought on what we've seen from Chase on to this point, and where he's ultimately going to fit into this lineup? Yeah, I, I actually have not disliked Chase on's game nearly as much as the Peanut Gallery. To be totally honest with you, I think he's played well. I think he's responsible. I think he knows what to do. I think he knows where to go. I think he's been good on the power play. I've liked a lot of what I've seen. He's had his chances, as far as I'm concerned. Now. I do think the lineup that they look projected to ice against the Buffalo Sabres is faster, right? Like the league is so fast these days. It's like an arms race, a constant speed arms race is going on between defenders and offensive players and between various teams. And, you know, the presence of one guy like Chason, it's amazing the impact that it makes in terms of your overall team speed. But, you know, I still think that Chason's been a net positive for this club to this point. And, you know, I won't be stunned if at some point we see Vasily Podkolzin switch to the other side of JT Miller and play with Chase on too. Like that to me works. I, I like Chase on a lot more on the fourth or the third line than I do on the first or the second. Uh, but I like him on PP1. Uh, I definitely like him on the power play in some capacity. I think they need that right-handed shot. I think he's responsible. Um, so, you know, the only reason that this move makes sense to me is, is from the, you know, aggregate team speed perspective. Uh, aside from that, like I actually think chase has been, you know, much more effective than his detractors in the Vancouver market would have you believe through three games. Yeah. I tend to agree. When you look at the options and you look at Dowling and Lamico and Highborn, I certainly like what I've seen from Lamico so far, but wow, there's, there's not a lot of there there. Uh, and I know people don't like it if I'm copying you in that particular line, but, um, as I look at that, Jason can't play ahead of Dowling or Highmore, really? Yeah. I mean, Highmore's been really good. Like, I wouldn't take Highmore out of the lineup either. And that I wouldn't have imagined myself saying that two weeks ago. But, like, Highmore's been incredible. I, I don't think you can take Highmore out of the lineup. I'm, gonna, I'm honest. Like, I'm serious. Like, I would not remove Matthew Highmore from the lineup at all. Um, you know, I think he's been really good. I think he's had a really strong three games. Standout three games for me. And Dowling? Dowling, I, I don't feel as strongly about. I don't think he's been as strong as Highmore has, but I, I wouldn't say he's done anything to deserve coming out of the lineup either. He's He's been fine. I mean, I think he's been the best, or the he's generated the most offensively of Vancouver's bottom six. And, you know, you probably do want that if you're playing Miller in a bottom six role as someone who's going to push some offense. I, I think he's a better bet to accomplish that than 
any other option that they have, probably including Nick Patan. Yeah, I'm sure. Except for except for, for Phil DiGiuseppe. Except for well, Phil DiGiuseppe, who should be, you know, a no-doubter in that spot. Like DiGiuseppe, Miller, Pod Colson. I mean, what what are we even doing here? That's the answer. Yeah, you know, and DiGiuseppe <laughs> alongside alongside of um, Dickinson, who he's basically played with for all of camp. I thought I was shocked when you look at that bottom six collection and DiGiuseppe wasn't here to begin with, but now we're really getting bogged down in, into the weeds at that point here. But when I, you know, when I look at it and I see Chase on come out of the lineup, what it also shows me is PP1. Is this is pretty much not a balanced power play unit, with the exception of Quinn Hughes, who wasn't at practice today, but uh, Brad Hunt was in as a placeholder for Hughes, not only uh, you know in his pair, but also on PP two with Oliver Ekman Larson on PP one. So it certainly looks to me that Hughes, notwithstanding, if you look at the forward deployment, they really are trying to load up PP one. Is that fair? Well, yeah, and they should. I mean, the power play scored three goals. They're they're operating at 25%, right? But I don't think it's looked very good, personally, right? Like, I don't think they've found anything approaching a groove. And so, yeah, I mean, loading up PP1, like, that's just best practice. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I like seeing Pedersen, Hughes, and Besser up high. Um, I, I mean, that also, to me, is their best fit. Like, we've talked a little bit about JT Miller at the net front. I just think that's their best option at this point is is to have Besser up high and, and JT Miller down low. And, you know, maybe they rotate in. Like one guy who's sneaky good at the net front is Pedersen, right? Like if Miller and Pedersen change places here and there, I think that's good for everybody because Miller also has a howitzer one-timer from that right circle. And Pedersen's really good and really disciplined and really courageous in that net front spot, even though his frame wouldn't suggest that he's a natural um, to slot in there. Uh, you know, there, there's tons of options that open up, but getting those five, Besser, Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, Hughes together um, and, and letting them, you know, figure out, like, just let that five group of five cook. And, and but we haven't seen that today. We, we didn't see that today. And I know they've moved Ekman Larson in and out of that group. So. What's your yeah, takeaway that, and seeing Ekman Larson that's with, with Hughes on a That's with Hughes on a maintenance day, right? Like, They'll play Hughes there. Hughes is going to be PP1. Um, make no mistake about it. Right? Hughes isn't anyone, anyone who was saying, you know, maybe it's Ekman Larson on PP1 or whatever. It's like Hughes is this team's number one defenseman. If there was any doubt about it after the Ekman Larson acquisition, there really should be no doubt about it now. Right? Like Hughes is playing four minutes more a game at five on five, and he missed a week of camp or he missed two weeks of camp. Um, you know. Yeah, the the three on three maybe inflates it a bit, but even if you look just at five on five, he's playing two and a half minutes more per game than Ekman Larson. Like forty three is the number one defenseman on this team, and hands down. We now know that. Yeah, forty three had the maintenance day. You mentioned he's just been logging heavy, heavy minutes, and he's been moving around in terms of who his who he's being partnered with. Uh, he's seeing time with both Myers and Pullman. What's your takeaway on what we've seen from Hughes so far through three games? Uh, yeah, I, I mean. Hughes was tremendous in Philadelphia, like unbelievably good. Uh, that was that was the return to prime rookie year Quinn Hughes for me as a two way. Yeah, player. I agree. And and then I thought he was good against Detroit. I don't think he was as good as he was the night before. Maybe something about playing sixty minutes in a twenty four hour span is uh, is exhausting. <laughs> Maybe that's not how you get peak human performance, Farhan. But uh, you know, I thought he was really good those two games. Um, I liked his game in Edmonton. I thought he, I thought he was defensively solid. Um, which is which is what I like to see. Uh, I think the team as a whole has been better defensively. Like I look at that game, that first period against Philadelphia, which is probably the worst period they played, right? And for all that they couldn't break out and spent their whole the whole period on their heels, it wasn't, it didn't look or feel the way that this team looked and felt so often in 2021, and I mean especially in 2021, but also the year prior, where it was just like five alarm chances being like handed out like Halloween candy, just like by uh, like stick your hand in kids, like, or, or even worse, like, or even worse. They were like the house on Halloween that just leaves the candy out front. Like take one honesty system applies. And like the first group of kids that show up without parents, just like ransack it and go home with like a full pillowcase of candy. Like that was the Canucks defense. Um, Even against Philly, when they were on their heels for 20 full minutes and generated nothing of their own, it just wasn't like that. Like Philly was not generating the volume of, of quality chances against Vancouver that so often we've seen this club surrender. It's early. I'm not saying that there's something here in terms of Vancouver's improved defensive play, 
But but it's on watch based on their performance in the first week. Like I do think this has a different feel to it in terms of maybe maybe a little more bend don't break than what we've seen from this club in recent years. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, uh, Thatcher Demko's not have had the the level of work just in terms of five alarm chances that he did, you know, at any point last season where it was just constant one after the other, and you wondered what we were doing here because this certainly didn't look like a professional level defensive group from the forwards on back to be quite honest but i think from what we've seen and you mentioned in your column even the bottom two lines especially the the bottom two centers have been able to control their share of chances uh five on five and and that's something you couldn't say a year ago no definitely not and uh and that's you know where the usage like we we talked a little bit about the environment that rathbone and burrows are playing in right like there is nothing happening in terms of what opponents are generating against those two there's also nothing happening in terms of what opponents are generating against Lamico and Dickinson, right? Like the Canucks have outshot their opponents by 12 with their bottom six centermen on the ice this season. Like, good God. <laughs> when was the last time that happened over a three-game stretch? Uh, probably never in the Beagle and Sutter era, to be totally honest with you, right? But when you replace Sutter at third line C with Dickinson and Beagle at fourth line center with Lamico. Like, not that Dickinson and Lamico are studs, just that they're, you know, competent, defensive, responsible, two-way NHL centermen. And not that not that Sutter and Beagle aren't, but they're more, you know, penalty-killing specialists who rely on playing a shell game, right? They rely on spending more time in their own end and not being out of position when they do, but bleeding shot attempts against, especially when Sutter's in a third-line role. You know, when Sutter comes back, if he plays center or wing on the fourth line and you have Dickinson slotted ahead of him or JT Miller, maybe you have Dickinson with Sutter. Maybe you have Lamico with Sutter and Dickinson. You just have a whole, you know, uh, a whole donut line, all, all centermen. But the, you know, fact is, is that that upgrade, that upgrade is massive and, and it has shown up in my view. In the early going, a couple of other things I want to get into. We'll take a break before that, but I want to talk about Ekman Larson. We, we spent a lot of time talking about Hughes and and the power play and um, you know and other pieces around there, including the bottom pair. But Ekman Larson through the first three games, you know, I think is as good right now as the Canucks could have expected at any point. Uh, and also Connor Garland, the other player acquired from from Phoenix, who has been very very noticeable in my estimation in those first three games when the VanCast returns. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and Package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. To answer a few more minutes, and in that time, look, let's talk about Oliver Ekman Larson because look, the the underlying numbers and what we saw, both uh, you know from the eye test and and all of it, what we've seen from him the last three, possibly four years, it hasn't been good. And the club made a real big leap of faith. It's a very small sample size, only three games. But regardless of who he's played with so far. I think he's more than held his own, and he looks faster than what I expected. I'm not telling you he's Quinn Hughes, but you know I expected to see a player who had really deteriorated uh, just in terms of his overall foot speed, and I see a guy that seems to be holding his own in that area. I, I agree with you. I think he's been really good. Like, well, I think he's been solid. I, you know, what's interesting is he really is playing second pair minutes. They're they're hard minutes. Like he's playing a lot against top six competition. And he's starting the bulk of Vancouver's defensive zone shifts. So, you know, these aren't simple minutes. But yeah, I agree with you. He's played well. I've loved the physical play. I've loved the intensity. I've loved the unflappability. Um, you know, I, I think he's made a really good start here. At some point, is he going to get completely overloaded by what's going to be asked of him on the PK? Because those, um, those are hard minutes as well. Those are really hard minutes. I mean, the PK as, as a whole has been overloaded, right? Like, there's just, that is the one, you know, the power play hasn't, I don't love the underlying profile of the power play through three games, but hard to hard to get too upset when, you know, Besser's been hurt. Pedersen and Hughes are still shaking off the rust. Garland's still figuring out like where he fits with this group. Right. Um, you know, hard to hard to be too critical when they've had success despite those factors. But the power penalty kill, you know, not, and it's not just the 56 percent conversion rate. Right. Like if it was a 56 percent kill rate and, you know, you were just getting unlucky. That would be one thing, 
the Canucks are getting throttled. Like there's a lot of shots being taken on them. They've, they've spent 10 minutes shorthanded. They've given up, you know, 15 shots. Uh, they're giving up almost a scoring chance a minute. Like that is, that is an area that I am side-eyeing. It's my first side-eye of the year on the VanCast, as side-eyeing as, you know, a, a, a matter of concern. The materially struggling in four-on-five situations so far. More on Ekman Larson, though. You know, um, the quotes that you, uh, he, that you got from him just about how he really wanted the pressure. It's not a guy that can simply deal with the pressure. He actually wanted the pressure after spending 11 years in Arizona where there was nothing, you know, and, and um, it was interesting to note some of the comments of former teammates who said that, look, this guy did still have to answer a lot of questions. They just quite often weren't about hockey because the franchise itself was in such a level of turmoil, but he talked about wanting to be in this environment where there was pressure and, and not that he, you know, loves us as the media, you know, individually or collectively, but just that he, he wasn't fearful of it. And he just felt this would, would have been a good thing and it would have brought out the best in him. So far, the early returns yeah. are, are positive. But when do you hear players say that? Yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting. I, I was um, I, I was impressed with how he was roasting himself, but I was also impressed with the way that he suggested that you know, and and this wasn't like at the top of his register. You know what I mean? It's not like I actually wanted the pressure, and you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, like he was like, this is what I need to help me grow as a player and a person now, and I just thought. That was fascinating, especially from a guy who picked like Boston and Vancouver. Like what do Boston and Vancouver, those were his two teams when he had control of his NMC. Like what do those teams have in common, you know, other than having played each other in 2011 in the cup final, like nothing, you know, almost virtually nothing on the water, maybe like good seafood, you know, like it's, yeah. <laughs> um, um, townies. Like, I don't know. Like I, I can't figure it out, but the, you know, I think what drew a common thread was the hockey first environment right? Like the show environment in both markets. And, and that became clear to me as I sort of poked at him, um, you know, brought him some observations from a guy he knows pretty well and who, you know, was his teammate when he was a young man in this league. Um, you know, I thought that was fascinating and, and self-reflective and, you know, genuine in terms of how he said it and what he meant when he was saying it. So, you know, I've been pretty impressed with him as off the ice, just in our conversations, but more importantly, he's made a good start on it. Yeah, because, you know, you, you find a lot of NHL players, you know, they, they come into the game, they're just happy to get here. And then at some point they want to play in that environment, right? Like it's like a baseball player wanting to play for the Yankees at some point. A lot of players will say at some point, I want to play in Canada. I want to see what that feels like. And then by the end of their career, and I'm not suggesting that Ekman Larson's at the end, but it's 11 years deep. This would be that level of contract. Like this is going to be his last significant contract that at that point, you just want to go to a successful place where you can play in anonymity. Like Tampa is the perfect scenario. Not that he could fit there salary cap wise, but you know what I mean? That, you know, those types of players at some point now, look, I don't want any of that. I just want to be successful. I want to have a chance to win and I want to just live my life. And I don't need the attention. I don't need the fame. And you get the sense that after 11 years, like I'm just surprised it happened at this point, as opposed to year seven or year eight for Ekman Larson. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's interesting because you're right. Like the the remember the Florida like retirement home, the Panthers, like all the ex Leafs. It's like Newendike to Kirk Muller to like you know like it was just like this roster would have been an absolute banger ten years pre prior. Yeah. Um, you know that that was like a classic NHL career arc. But yeah, I mean at thirty. Uh, seven years remaining on your deal, wanting to come or five years remaining on your deal anyway, wanting to come to Canada, um, wanting to, you know, continue to challenge yourself in a market where every mistake is scrutinized. Um, you know, that is unique. Like that was hearing that was a surprise to me, um, sort of didn't change my perspective on the person or the player, but I do think added some insight into why exactly he, you know, chose, like he chose to steer himself in Vancouver's direction in the first place. Um, you know, I thought that was a pretty fascinating uh, insight into into his thinking and and sort of mode of operation going into uh, a pretty crucial season for him. And I know that we were all pointing to his numbers and we were pointing to his decline, but I think there were a lot of us that did feel there was still the potential for a short term bump in this contract, which has six years left. And you know, the feeling was that if they could get three to four years uh, of top four value that that becomes a win at that point. And, you know, in the back end, he wouldn't be the first contract that the final two years of became really difficult. The fear factor was that all six years would be bad. But I think the fact that there's been a little bit of a bump because he, he isn't that old, 
change of scenery can help. I, I think um, this really is a best case scenario for the club right now. And, and it, you know, looks good on him, looks good on them. Uh, we'll see what the, the long-term picture of that looks like. Uh, we talked about him on the power play and potentially getting overloaded real quick. Um, Mott, Tyler Mott, what's the timeline on his return? Because we know he'd been skating previously and you'd mentioned he's probably more important right now to that PK than even the return of a guy like Brock Besser is to, to the power play. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, he's not here. Like I haven't seen him around the rink, so clearly not imminent, but I'm sure the club's hopeful that he'll join them when they practice, you know, like later this week, like Friday, they have a scheduled practice in Seattle. Uh, who knows? Maybe they don't end up practicing that day, but you know, certainly I'd imagine they're hopeful that they have a Mott for that game. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine they they want to have Mott back as soon as possible. Uh, I'm sure they'll be hopeful that he joins them on this trip. There, there was a chance that he would prior to the departure, but he hasn't yet. So, you know, I don't think that I don't think like that that cavalry, the Tyler Mott PK cavalry, like that's not coming on the horizon. There's no sound of trumpets <laughs> yet, Farhan. But I do think the club will uh, need him. I mean, it, he would be a huge ad at this point. Um, especially when you consider that the bottom six has performed decently well, uh, adding Mott's speed, that work rate, and the against the grain scoring threat, you know that that could that could actually make this mix, you know, not imposing but certainly more robust. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Connor Garland, and mm. you know we we saw the reverse hit in the last game that uh, that drew the ire of the Red Wings, and just I've noticed him in every game. You know he's he's been energetic. You know he's been around the net. He's been he's been able to create. He's been effective in the corners. He's been good on the wall. Like I, I like what I've seen from him. There hasn't necessarily been the bottom line that is needed, especially on that line, particularly, which hasn't controlled as much as we'd like, but I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. But he has three points. He's the, he's he, other than Miller. Miller's the only guy who's outscored Connor Garland. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. But like when I look at Garland, I, I think he's been really, really noticeable. Yeah. He's uh, he's played well. I think the, I agree with you. And I, I like the transition work. I like the work rate. I love those spins. Like I love the way that he's like, you know, he's going to pull like a triple sow cow out at some point, like uh, <laughs> like in the Mighty Ducks. It's incredible. Uh, but the, you know, thing I can't get over yet, though, is that that line's just not driving play, right? Like, they're the three, Pearson, Horvat, Garland, you know, aside from Pod Colson, whose deployment is just different from everyone else's on the team, like that, those three are sort of like bringing up the rear, in terms of the underlying profile through three games among Canucks forwards. Like they're just, you want to see that line spend more time having heavy shifts, especially when, you know, in your mind's eye, like I thought Horvat was shooting fireballs, like at his absolute best uh, in, against Detroit and Garland, you know, does so much good work. Uh, Pearson's super responsible. And yet for whatever reason, they just haven't seemed to be able to string those heavy shifts together in consecutively. And this team really needs them to like really needs that, that second line, whatever line Bo Horvat's playing on they that line really needs to be spending a ton of zone time. Like they need to be tilting the ice. And to this point, for whatever reason, as much as I've liked Garland, that trio hasn't quite yet got it going in that exact respect. And, you know, we'll see like Buffalo, Detroit, there's some opportunities to do so, but th this team really needs a second line. That's, you know, coming in waves after Pedersen's shifts end. Like, that's absolutely essential for, for the way that this roster is constructed to have that and to have that consistently. And we, we just, through three games, we just haven't had that or seen that enough. And are you going to see that with Pearson on that line? Because for the last couple of seasons, for the most part, in his time in Vancouver, five on five, he has not been a dynamic offensive player. And while Besser, or sorry, while Horvat has always needed some consistency on his wings, does he not need more? Garland uh, yeah, can give I'm, it to him. I'm just not sure that Pearson can. Yeah, no, I mean, I it's, you know, that, that's something to monitor. I, I do think that this team would be best suited to maybe trying Pearson on a on a different line than Horvat's. But, you know, that those two have had so much success together. There's clearly a comfort level that they feel uh, with one another. Um, Horvat also gets such tough matchups that putting a guy as you know, reliable and low maintenance as Pearson on his wing, you know, probably does matter. 
Uh, you know, I mean, it's easy for us to say, we'll put Miller on that line. But, you know, what does Miller do that Pearson never does, right? Like, turns the puck over sometimes, right? Like, you know, Pearson never, you're, you're almost never going to see like a play or a puck not get deep or like, you know, you're never going to see that with Tanner Pearson. There is a certain value to that, even if, you know, the underlying numbers and the, and the way that, you know, it, it looks on paper, maybe doesn't jump off the page the same way that like Miller Horvat Garland does, right? Like there's a reliability with Pearson that he that he brings that matters. Like that definitely matters. And so, you know, you, you give them more time. You see if they can sort it out. It's only three games, right? I mean, it hasn't been um, a 20-game stretch. It's been a three-game stretch. And the game against Detroit was the best one they'd had as a line. So, you know, perhaps that's a sign of things to come. Perhaps they're beginning to figure it out and nail down that chemistry between them. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll see it again. Uh, clearly that line was the only one not disrupted at Canucks practice on Monday. Um, so they want to get a longer look at it. Uh, we'll see what that looks like against Buffalo. We'll see what that looks like against Chicago. I, I think they've probably earned, uh, uh, some run, uh, some familiarity, especially cause you know, Garland's played well, but that game against Detroit was almost like the first game you felt like he was just out there playing and not thinking. And so, yeah, I mean, give it some time and when we'll see where it goes, but yeah, it's on watch for me as something that, you know, I'm curious to see if they can begin to do the things this team needs them to in terms of, you know, moving the river and, and driving a territorial advantage from Vancouver's perspective, five on five. Well, like, as, as I said earlier in the show, I mean, I certainly believe that that pairing of Pearson and Horvat is something the head coach is married to. And it's going to take a long time, I think, before he uh, strongly considers something else for more than just a shift or a period. But uh, we'll see what that looks like uh, over the final three games of this road trip. And before we wrap this thing up, life on the road. You're you're back on the road, right? We didn't get to go through this a year ago when everything was so restricted in in the season that was. But what's it like being back on the road now for these these last three games? Well, I'm doing, you know, this from a little cavernous closet on event level. I'm like feet away from the Pistons home court. They, of course, host their home opener on Wednesday. And then I'm going to go back to the double tree where I've got late checkout and, you know, I guess have a beer before flying out to Buffalo at 1050 tonight. <laughs> I'll land in Buffalo probably too late to hit the anchor bar and, um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. Like, I'll figure it out. It's a grind. This trip, especially, you know, starting with three and four, Edmonton, Detroit, Buffalo, like, you know, not not a ton of the must can't miss cities in North America on this uh, on this road trip. <laughs> Um, but it's come fast. It's come furious. You know, crossing the border's been tough. And then, you know, in the States, you're you're going around and you, you're going to different cities and the amount that they differ in terms of the environment, in terms of mass compliance, in terms of your comfort level as someone who, you know, is desperate not to at any point produce a positive, right? Because if I produce a positive uh, at any point, Farhan, then I'm stuck for 10 to 14 days wherever it happens, right? And it's just like, I just want to get home to Wallace. <laughs> like I want to do good work. I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the chats. I'm enjoying the conversations at the rink. I'm enjoying the normalcy. I'm enjoying full buildings of people, you know, losing their mind over over hockey. Uh, that stuff's great. But I don't want a two week trip to become a month long trip, right? And so, are you getting a ch- are you getting a chance to actually talk one on one to players? Yeah, I am uh, very regularly, which is great. Um, you know, it's, it's felt normal from that perspective and from a workflow perspective too. And, you know, the, uh, but yeah, I mean, lots of, lots of day-to-day testing for me. Like I, I, I have those, uh, antigen tests. I test every second day and, um, you know, I'm taking this seriously. I'm trying to be as cautious as I can. I'm trying to enjoy myself and enjoy and enjoy life on the road as much as possible while, you know, also understanding that, um, you know, this pandemic's not over, right? Like this, there still needs to be caution, especially if you want to move freely across borders and uh, and get back to your family in the in the manner that you're scheduled. So it's been really interesting to navigate um, and and live through, and and a lot of fun, but but also challenging. When we talked to players a year ago, it was emotionally draining for so many of them. Now that there are a few more freedoms for those that are double vaxxed or fully vaxxed, which is everybody essentially minus four players in the league, um, are you sensing a different energy from the players? Uh, because they're getting closer to normal. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think life's basically normal for them, right? Like they don't they don't um, necessarily even wear masks in certain settings when you're talking to them, right? Like usually when I'm talking to a player, I'm masked and they're not. 
Um, yeah, I, I do sense that it's getting back to normal, but I also do know that, you know, the teams are approaching this with uh, an understanding and a, and a level of caution required, um, you know, similar, similar to me for professional reasons, right? Like if at any point you end up on the COVID list, like that's a pain that'll cost you, you know, games. I mean, it won't cost you money so long as you're vaccinated, double vaccinated, but you know, it's a pain that will cost you games. And so, you know, I do think it's different, but I also think it's so much more close to normal, like so much closer to what players are used to in terms of going out for dinner, in terms of going and seeing that Lions game yesterday, right? Like in terms of living a more normal lifestyle. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely a pervasive sense of normalcy around this season to this point, but not a hundred percent, right? Like there's still reminders of the world we are currently inhabiting and the, and the challenges we're still all working through. No question. And, uh, you get a chance to continue the trip for three more games. You mentioned you hadn't seen three of the greatest cities in North America to start. Buffalo is not much better, but then you get to go to Chicago on Thursday and you get yep. to wrap things up on Saturday in Seattle, first home game in Kraken franchise history. So those last two are going to be a lot of fun for you. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to get to Ocheval. <laughs> I'll eat a burger at Ocheval in Chicago. Um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll get to Pike place in, uh, in Seattle. I brought my raincoat, so I'm ready to go. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to that Kraken home opener in particular. That's going to be a historic night, a ton of fun. And obviously it's always great to be in the madhouse, uh, in Chicago. So yeah, no, I mean, it's look, it, at the end of the day, blessed to be out here on the road, blessed to be chasing a team around North America. This is the best, and I missed it so. But you know, it is, um, it, it it is you know different, and I'm I'm just getting my rhythm back too, right? Like I'm not used to it yet. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting experience to navigate it for sure, man. Fun stuff. Enjoy it, uh, Drancer. We'll do this again later in the week. All right, be well, bud. All right, and before we go, we do want to let you know that Jack Hughes of the New Jersey Devils joins Craig Custinson. Sean Gentilly this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Also, Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports and Jesse Granger along with Sarah Sivian have the Athletic Hockey Show Wednesday this week at the Athletic. And for all of you, thanks to the VIPs for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. You can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from the entire network. Start with a free 30-day trial then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are 50% off when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. Drencher's probably already gone. He's got to get to the next airport. No, he's going <laughs> You got to call I'm Wallace make sure he's doing okay. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I do have to call Wallace for sure. I'm sure he really uh, enjoyed the debut of um, the Canucks Hour. I'm certain All he right, listened to it. He was texting in like, woof, woof, like, miss you, dad. I was like, when did you get a phone, bud? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll let you shuffle off to Buffalo, and we'll continue this later on in the week. Sounds good, bud. Be well. Let's go!